This episode is sponsored by Riverside, your all-in-one podcast and video platform. I've been using Riverside for years, super high quality podcast recordings ready in minutes, but listen to this. They just launched Magic Clips, which is their AI powered video clips maker for social media. So I do one podcast episode and get 10 video clips back in minutes. This is game changing for video content creators. Click the link in the show notes and use the code MSM23 for 15% off. This episode is also sponsored by PDC Flow payment management made easy. PDC Flow just built this super cool product called Flow Billing, which helps you avoid late or missed payments from your customers. Flow Billing captures payment information, verifies it to make sure it's valid, and automatically collects invoice payments for the work that you do. So there's no waiting and there's no uncomfortable email or phone call. Visit pdcflow.com flow billing to learn more. You have to pick your channel and then go deep on that. Like, it's not worth trying 20 channels, maybe try two or three, but then hone in on one. And especially as a seed stage company going to zero to one, that's really important that you nail that channel that you have. And then at series A and later, you add a few other layers and then you start to replicate the process. So the way you choose to start the journey is extremely important in terms of how you build your team around that. If you're at an early stage startup, you're in the right place. Every startup begins bootstrapped, pre-seed or seed, and that's such an exciting time, but also a really challenging time. 50 to 90% of early stage startups don't make it. We should be able to get our startups over the hump and without guessing or throwing spaghetti. Marketing is an important part of your go-to-market strategy, but you need to understand the why behind the what in order to get clarity, make the right decisions and get results. Welcome to season four, where I'll be asking why in order to help bring more clarity to the messy world of early stage startup marketing. Hi, it's Anna Fermanov, the host of the Modern Startup Marketing Podcast. Thanks for joining me. I've got Krish Ramanini on the show today. He is the co-founder and CEO at Fireflies.ai. Maybe you've heard of Fireflies. Maybe you're using Fireflies. Maybe you're using something similar, but I am actually deeply interested in both the product and the conversation that we're going to have today, Krish. So thanks for joining me. Yeah, I'm excited. Always excited to talk about anything SaaS, anything marketing. Yep. So folks, some people, maybe the listener has heard of Fireflies.ai. Founded in 2016, the team is now 78 people on the funding side, Series A, so $19 million total. And quick description is automate your meeting notes, transcribe, summarize, search, and analyze voice conversations. I actually, you know, Krish, I was going through this like yesterday, little thought moment of, gosh, I think I'm getting kind of annoyed with taking notes for these podcast episodes because that's literally what I do. What I've been doing over the years is I'm a pretty good notes taker. And as we talk through every episode, I take the notes and then I go back right away, right after we're done, I jump back in so that it's fresh in my head. And I highlight the stuff that I think should be turned into like a guest intro or video clips. I put in like a title. I think the episode should have, this is all fresh because I just had the conversation with the person, right? But it's the note-taking part can be a little bit cumbersome after so many years, right? So I just signed up for Fireflies. I want to just mention that because I just did that. So we'll see how it goes with this episode. But people have been talking about these you know, summarizing meeting notes, pulling out the main, you know, action items or just like really cool things that this type of tool can help you with. So yeah, that's kind of, so I decided to sign up and someone had mentioned another company, actually. I went back and I said, Fireflies, I'm going to have them on the show. And they they mentioned another company that does this. So part of our conversation, Krish, is I'm going to want to ask you like, 
the space is getting a little bit cluttered, right? So how you guys are thinking about that challenge and making sure that you're still leading the charge on this type of tool. So we'll definitely touch on that. But I decided to use the tool. I went on your website. I saw that there's a use case, media and podcasting, and then I just signed up for the sign up for free. So here I am. Okay, let's jump into the questions that I have today. So tell me about your series A now, but tell me about the early days of fireflies.ai, like the seed stage part. Give me like a little rundown of who was on the team. What did your go-to market strategy look like? And then I'll ask you a couple of questions after that. Yeah. So for us at the very start, it was mostly engineers. And then we had probably one person writing content for us at the time. We're like a true all-out product-led growth company. So product comes first. It's not sales or marketing-led. And what that meant was having transparent pricing, transparent features, not pay-gating any of the content, allowing people to try before buying. So that was really the motion we started working with. Now, when you're a seed stage company and you try that approach, it's really hard. It takes a very long time because you have to like deal with small individual customers paying you $10. And really, that's not paying any of the bills, right? In the early days, you have to be persistent. I think PLG takes at least one to two years longer to start versus a sales-led business. But we always believe this was the right model because we wanted to support millions of people at scale. And if you have a sales-led motion, you're not going to be able to reach that many people. It's all about reach. So a lot of our go-to-market was around how do you get people to see value, try it as quickly as possible. And in the early days, it may start with like five, 10 users a day, a week. And then it just starts slowly building over time. But it's also worth mentioning that if your product has some function of viral loops like Fireflies does, it will compound over time. Let's talk about viral loops. What kind of viral loop do you have within your product? So for Fireflies, people see it in their meetings when someone else invites it and they get to ask, oh, what is this cool new technology that you're using? And then that starts a conversation. And usually people have to inform that they're using a tool to record and transcribe their meetings. So that sets off a really cool conversation, gets people curious and starting to search for Fireflies. The other nice benefit of having Fireflies during the meeting is it's present. So you get to be aware of it. And then after the meeting, you're getting a meeting recap. So even before you've signed up for Fireflies, you've experienced it through another person. Every user becomes a product evangelist in a way, and they're marketing the product for you. And those people that get the recap, they get to see it. They get a snapshot of like how it works, read the summary, check out the transcript, and they're like, this is cool. I'm going to sign up as well. And then that loop compounds over time. The more people you bring in and the more people that are having meetings with others. And really, whether you're a free user or a pro user or a business user on Fireflies, you're extremely valuable to us because you are doing a lot of the heavy lifting. And then that goes on hyperdrive when the people that do love it are able to go on Twitter, on LinkedIn and talk about how much they like the platform. And that helps with that word of mouth. I truly believe the best form of marketing any company can have is like customer marketing, word of mouth. That helps you build a mini brand that gets people through the door. And then if you have a way for your product to showcase itself through other users, you know, very few products had that, like Dropbox in the past, Calendly is one of them, all again, PLG in motion. So I don't advocate PLG for everything. It'd be nice if everything could be PLG. But in reality, if you're like an enterprise security startup, you will need sales and top-down selling motion. But if your product is in the collaboration space and it's valuable for many people, every knowledge worker in the business, then trying to incorporate those viral loops and that sharing into the product is amazing. And ours was just naturally tilted towards that. Yeah, that makes sense. So perfect. We talked about who was on the team, kind of like your true PLG company. That was your go-to market strategy. Like your really product comes first. 
allowing people to try before they buy. I just did it. Yes, it was very easy. I signed up for free. I saw a quick video. I think I can handle it now. (laughs) I think I can do it, right? So it makes sense if it's that self-explanatory and you just kind of start with using it in your meetings. You mentioned customer marketing, the best form of marketing, right? Gets that word of mouth. What would you say were the high points and what were the struggles, like thinking back to that seed stage? The struggles at the seed stage was getting product feedback and then acting upon it because you're going to get so much different feedback from so many different directions. And you have to pick which one do you want to prioritize on. And your product is not going to be fully flushed out. So is it because the market's not ready? Is it because your product's not good enough? Is it because there is no market and you need to create a new category? So all of those things are difficult. I know companies that aren't an established market and they create like a more PLG SMB friendly product, right? If you think about the CRM space, there's a lot of smaller CRMs that have come out and created a niche for themselves. Whereas with Fireflies, there was no category, there was no market. And so part of it is you're explaining to people how to use it, getting them comfortable with these AI agents and bots that joining your meetings. So there's a lot of that education that has to happen when a new category is getting created. I think that was definitely the challenge at the seed stage. And then helping people understand like, okay, what is the value of me able to being able to do this at scale? And it's very hard to change human behavior, whether that's in SaaS, whether that's in friendships, whether that's in relationships. I do believe you have to deal with the cards that you are dealt. And so if a user has a particular behavior, unless it's 10x valuable, they're not going to change their behavior and try a new workflow. So that's the hardest thing for any startup is to get a customer or user to say, hey, this is valuable enough for me to go give it a try and continuously use, not try it once, see it's cool, but like, I want to incorporate this into my day-to-day life. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's basically what I'm going through, right? I had a process for years that I've been using Then I saw somebody else use something like that and explain like, yeah, it transcribes the meeting. No, I get the notes. I don't have to take notes and I can look back and like the main sections are highlighted for me and it really organizes well, blah, blah, blah. Right. But I didn't jump on that yet until now where I'm experiencing this pain. So you really it really does depend on like somebody really has to notice the pain and value that you're bringing has to be so good. So Krish. We'll see. (laughs) We'll see what happens with that. You know, I'm basically going to compare my notes to the notes that this tool is taking and see if it flows well with my process of pulling out the main points, you know, from the episode and helping me title the episode, stuff like that. So we'll see how it goes. But super appreciate that. So you talked about the struggles. What about the high points? I think the best parts of any startup experience is when you get strangers that are using your product and talking positively about it, because that's all of the things that you wanted was to put in that effort and make sure that people are getting value from it. So when you don't have to go, you know, drum your own drums and allow other people to just be able to say, hey, this is incredible. So for me, success was, can a person go from zero to one with our product without ever having to talk to support or sales or anyone on the team and help themselves. And when you create a repeatable process around that and you have complete strangers saying, this is awesome, this has been really helpful for my workflow, that was like the best thing for anyone on the team. And then can you scale up, right? Like now you're in scale up mode. How do you support that sort of volume? How do you deal with that sort of customers? So there's definitely challenges that come with that at scale, it never gets easier. It just becomes different problems that you have to solve. Yeah. So talking about that previous thing I mentioned when I just introed the episode where the person I was speaking to was actually using a different tool, but you've got this tool and it's doing similar stuff. How do you, and there's more players probably popping up. You guys are growing year over year, right? How do you differentiate from the other players that are popping up in the space? 
For us, it's really about creating direct value with what customers care about. So for example, some people really care about the summaries. And I think we wanted to go really deep on the summaries so that we have paragraph level summaries, shorthand bullet point notes, action items, a meeting outline with timestamps. And that gets a lot of people excited because you're taking the best parts and going deeper, the accuracy of the transcription. So the core things better is like the most important thing. And then we always believe in customizability. So for folks now that are able to use Fireflies, you can go and customize your summaries in the way you want them to be written. And so that takes things to the extra level. So putting in that little bit of extra care on the core features makes a huge difference for people. And, you know, when they're able to compare things for themselves, that's super helpful. Offering, you know, the ability to, so we have introduced this new capability called Ask Fred, which lets you just ask questions about what was said during the podcast or the meeting and then get answers. So even if everything is not in the notes, you can just query and then have it write notes. So for example, I just had a meeting earlier and I had it write a blog post draft template in the style I wanted based on the contents of the meeting. So it's those sort of things that where you're taking the transcription, the summaries and doing some magic with it. That's what's exciting. That's cool. And you don't have to jump off the platform and go use chat GPT. You can just, you know, do it right there. Ask Fred, get the answers, help to write that blog post. And then it probably gets smarter over time, right? As you ask questions and learns from some of the information that it's giving you, right? So you don't have to jump off and use something else. Is that right? And I believe that ChatGPT, you can't post an entire transcript because there's a limit in terms of how much it can index. So there's the other thing, right? When you're dealing with large conversational files like meetings, it's much, much harder to just go copy and paste into ChatGPT and get the answers you want. It's also not tailored to respond like a meeting assistant would. I think some of the same core technology that powers OpenAI and ChatGPT powers Fireflies. The other thing is most people are not on an enterprise version of ChatGPT. So for us, by default, all of the things that are sent to these LLMs and AI models, we have a zero-day retention policy, meaning that those AI models are not allowed to train or store on your data or store your data. So you know, if you were to go use another startup that has some cool LLM feature, chances are they don't have an enterprise contract in place with these big companies like ChatGPT, OpenAI, Anthropic and stuff. And who knows what your data is being used for? So that's something customers think a lot about too when comparing is like, hey, how is my data being used? And when Fireflies hits those checkboxes, you quickly eliminate a lot of the noise in the market that you would want to consider. Awesome. Okay. I want to ask, because I know that the listener who is listening to this is like, Anna, you better ask this question. So I'm going to ask it. When I asked you how you differentiate from other players, you had said, you had mentioned all these things that your product can do, right? We're creating that extra care. We're taking the best parts and going even deeper. And our transcription is going to be better. And then we have like paragraph level summaries, action items, and the meeting outline and all that stuff, right? And we've got this awesome thing called Ask Fred that's all dealing with your product. So what happens if another player builds that into their product? How do you create a moat around? And I'm asking this on purpose, like from coming from like putting my marketing hat on, right? And talking to you, you've built this company. And what I've noticed is, you know, there's typically co-founders, founders, they're very product focused. They're very product minded. It totally makes sense. Plus you're a PLG company. But what happens when the other player builds in that extra care too? What are you going to do? For us as a PLG community, the community aspect is really important. It's about how you can empower your customers to do work on top of the platform. And some of the best products like Notion have this community, Canva has this community where people can directly contribute and help each other at scale. And so when you have that community effect and those things are starting to form with Fireflies, it takes things to the next level. So people can do customizations, people can talk about it. They're really co-marketing with you. We have like a new affiliate program where people are able to refer Fireflies and they're 
essentially part of that ambassador evangelist program. So at scale, you want to get to a critical mass where there's so many people talking that you're mobilizing an entire army of folks around your product. And so that's where the go-to-market piece is also important, that you're able to empower, educate, whether it's affiliates, resellers, referrers, all of those folks to understand the value of the product. And I think product execution is something that we take our pride in and like how we do things. But also, as you reduce friction in your go-to-market motion, just going a little bit faster in terms of getting people to that aha moment, getting them activated, getting them to experience the different things, those all take work. Because if you are a top-down company, and if you're able to price at a certain price point, like pricing and packaging then comes into the mix, right? Like affordability and scale and all of those sort of aspects of the go-to-market need to then be communicated to the customer base, right? So if people automatically realize that, hey, Fireflies has the best summaries and it's the most affordable and for the amount of money I pay, it's worth it. But that is really about brand too. So community, brand, evangelism, I think those are things that have to happen. Product drives it, but you also have to put in the effort to get the entire market educated, right? And that's where write content, you're able to do webinars, you're able to do podcasts, you're able to just be able to create this like experience where wherever you go, what you see is fireflies. Yeah, kind of like you're everywhere. I think I had another episode with someone and they said, like, remember when the white shoes and everybody was wearing white sneakers and and like the influencers were wearing white sneakers. And that's like really the B2C example. But then for everybody just like took pictures of it and wanted those white sneakers, whatever they were. I don't even know what brand that is, but I have a pair. They're not white, white. They're kind of like off white, but still, (laughs) I feel like that had something to do with it. But create this experience where like you're everywhere that ties back to, okay, it's not just the product. It's what's your, that's the go-to market moat. And it sounds like you're putting a lot of emphasis on the people, the community, right? Community, co-marketing efforts, affiliates program, ambassador, right? People that are evangelizing now, like using you guys, which goes beyond the product, which creates this moat that it's harder than for your competition to, they can't really copy that. You can't copy customer love. That's just not (laughs) possible. So great. Love that. What would you say are the top three things that you focused on to get you from the seed stage to the series A? Because you started to say like, well, now series A and it's like the a different stage and we're, we've got different challenges. But what are the things that you focused on? Because I know a lot of listeners are from that earlier stage to get you from seed to series A. Building the team, absolutely important that you get that part right. You don't need to have a big team, but just having the right pieces in place Having a little bit of redundancy there also helps. What do you mean by not a big team, but the right pieces? Like, can you share a little bit more? What did you personally... Right. So if you are top-down sales organization, then you need to probably invest in having your SDRs and AEs and like the traditional function. If you are a marketing-led company and SEO is a really big channel, then you're going to have to do a year's worth of work, right? With SEO, that stuff doesn't happen overnight, like so that you get picked up organically. Some companies like ClickUp have done really well in competitive markets where they scaled with just SEO, getting them millions of visitors every month. So you have to pick your channel and then go deep on that. Like it's not worth trying 20 channels, maybe try two or three, but then hone in on one. And especially as a seed stage company going to zero to one, that's really important that you nail that channel that you have. And then at Series A and later, you add a few other layers and then you start to replicate the process. So the way you choose to start the journey is extremely important in terms of how you build your team around that. So if you are very engineering centric or product centric, then you're going to have to have more R&D. Even today, many public companies like Atlassian and Datadog and some of these other companies versus you look at, say, Salesforce and Oracles of the world. Because of the way they started and how they sold and how they marketed, their team structure is very similar. Look at the ratio between their R&D versus marketing spend versus sales spend. 
And it's very similar. So the things you do in the beginning will eventually scale with you. And it's very rarely that you come across a business where what they did in the beginning gets completely lifted and shifted. Like recently, we've been hearing about Airtable, phenomenal product that's been extremely valuable for SMBs and that have that strong PLG motion. All of a sudden say that, hey, we're giving that up and we're going all out on enterprise, right? So that's going to require them to really lift and shift. But I think the best companies are usually the ones that are layering differentiation over time. So Fireflies didn't have any salespeople in the beginning, but then we realized that as we started getting larger customers, we want to allow people to buy the way they want. And some people require a demo, even if everything is transparent. So these are the sort of things that you have to think about intentionally, how you build your team, what channels you're going after, and that will determine a lot of the things. So the people that spray and pray are going to get distracted very easily. Yeah, I love that you say that because I am also of that mindset of prioritizing your channels and maybe you prioritize to those two to three and you're like, oh yeah, this one's doing really well. Like, let's really have this be focused on like our customers are our best marketing. So what are we going to do as we're getting people to try the tool and use it? How do we create that, like maybe the marketing material, the testimonials, the videos, the affiliates program, right? To double what we're getting from it now. And we're seeing that uptick already. Let's zero in on it. Let's nail that. And I highly, like, I super love that because I think that what ends up happening when you're at seed stage is like, we could do this and you're just bombarded, right? Founders are bombarded with so many options of how to get the message out there. But it's really important to go through the process of let's prioritize. We can't be everywhere. We only have so many people on the team right now. We're not growing the team yet, the marketing team yet. So a lot of founders take on that. Were you taking on the marketing side? Like, did you test some things out? Maybe you tested like a couple or a few different things and then decided let's zero in. How did that work out for you? Yeah, that's a great question. So we've tried a bunch of different things, and it's important to try a lot of different things to see what works for you. We started with doing SEO. We started writing a blog. We started uh, doing more of paid marketing as an experiment. Like today, I like to say that we spent little to zero dollars on paid, but we did experiment a little bit in the very beginning and realized the customer acquisition cost of paid just didn't make sense for us. It was much, much more expensive. And then the quality of customers you get through those paid channels didn't really work for us. So we were like, okay, no paid. And we made a conscious decision. We may revisit it at some point in time, but in the last two years, we haven't done any oh paid my marketing. Gosh. And that's kind of hard for a startup like to say that, a Silicon Valley startup that's growing fast, you know, that has taken notes for millions of people to be able to say, hey, we don't use paid marketing and we haven't spent a dollar on paid in the last like two years of our, our company's existence. So it's one of those things where you have to be conscious and you may get tempted to try something because a VC told you this or an advisor told you this or some other company told you to do something. But if it's not the right thing for your business and the numbers don't work out, the LTB, the CACs, go back to the data and realize like, okay, that's not the, the model that's going to make sense. There's things that we've done accidentally that worked really well, right? With the affiliate program, it's just that we got so much inbound requests for an affiliate program that we just spun one up really quickly. And uh, that started to scale really fast. And that started bringing in lots of customers for us. We've also done some sort of collaborations with influencers in recent times, because we saw so many people organically creating YouTube videos for Fireflies and TikTok videos and uh, IG reels that we said, hey, maybe we should actually go to them and collaborate with them and give them ideas. And that's something we started doing. And that definitely has had uh, some early success there. So it's a combination of looking at the data and giving something enough time to know that if it's the right thing for you to do or not, because it's very easy to be able to say something's not working. And maybe it's not working because at the stage you're at and where the product is at and how much experience you have in that area. So they say like for a marketer, get a T-shaped marketer in the early days, especially as a seed stage company, because you want to try a bunch of different things. But then you also have to get to a point where you have to really lean in 
and then go deep, like several layers deep. Like, for example, if you are doing paid, your creative better be incredible. You know, the way you target your audience has to be really good. You need to be willing to spend a lot of money. And so if you're going to basically not go all in in, in terms of validating something to completion, then you're not going to get the results that you want. You got to go all in. That's why I'm podcasting, Krish. You got to go all in. Either you do your podcast or you don't. Don't start a podcast if you're just going to put out seven episodes and you're expecting results from that. Do not do it. All right. I love it. I love what we shared and kind of really interesting about the paid ads. I work with early stage startups. Typically, seed stage actually does not want to spend money on paid ads, at least the ones that that come inbound to work with me because, well, number one, I don't focus on paid ads. And number two, I think they've gotten, they've tried it and have gotten burned. I also had this experience where I was heading up marketing at a series A startup and we were B2B to C and we brought in a paid ads agency and it just didn't go anywhere. So we dropped it. We also didn't do paid ads and it was series A. So I think there is something there. You need to look at your own business model. Not everything will work based on somebody said you need to, you know, yes, paid ads work. People do run them, but you have to check, go back to your data and understand, like, does it make sense? Do the numbers make sense? What kind of customers are you getting? Are they quality customers? Do you even need that? Or can you go big in other channels? So... Love that so much. And then you also mentioned that you didn't have sales in the beginning, but some people require that demo. So you kind of layered that on. So it's like layers. And I'm also seeing that where people started with like the enterprise, you know, the sales led motion. And now they're kind of trying to go back and do a little bit more PLG where they maybe have a chunk of the product that they provide, not the whole thing, but maybe a piece of it. And then people can use it and experience the benefits, not the whole value, but trying to get more people to use the product without selling the whole entire $50,000 platform. I do think it's much harder though, if you're sales led to go and layer in PLG. I have never seen any company that has been successful in that when you have a high charging price point product and then you're really a sales engine. And then you say, okay, let's go just do a free thing because one of our competitors is doing that. It's much harder. I've seen many companies that have done PLG and scale up, which is great, where you start from the smaller grassroots and then you go up and your product gets more complicated over time. I think the closest companies that I've probably seen who were already PLG by DNA, for example, Monday.com was a free trial-based company Later, they went and added freemium, but they were not like selling to enterprises and then said, let's go do freemium. HubSpot is another great example of a company that sort of did it where they were still on the lower end of the market, but they were a sales and a marketing focused company where they made an effort over like a decade to create free products, right? And then have that be the driving engine for what they did. But again, very different from I have not seen a pure enterprise play company go and do freemium in that manner, because it's going to require a lot of go-to-market resources. You're going to need to hire growth people. You're going to need to have data engineers. You're going to have to do A-B experimentation. It's almost like running a consumer company in that function. So it's a very different DNA. And maybe that's not the markup of what a traditional enterprise company is, because for them, it's all about pipeline and demand generation and demos. All of a sudden, you're like, what are these free users? Like, what am I going to use? do with these guys? Like, Why are they giving us $10? Like, who cares? Bye. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like what you just mentioned early on in the episode, where you have to be okay with those couple of years dealing with all of those people, and they're paying you, right, $5, $10, or zero, or whatever it is, just to get the mass, right? Yeah, makes sense. Okay, so season four of the show. I ask a lot of why questions. I want to ask a lot of why questions because I feel like a lot of stuff focuses on the what tactics, but people aren't always sure why they're doing the things that they're doing. That's why I went back and I asked you, Krish, and you were awesome to go on that tangent of what's going to be your moat 
if you're focused on the product side and there are other players that are also tweaking their product, making it better and taking care of their users, right? What's going to be your moat? So the why questions matter. I've been working with early stage startups for over three years, developed this approach. It's called mass marketing as a system. And I give them a process to use. Like even the prioritization of channels, we go through that process because there's all these different things they could be doing, but we need to figure out where we're going to zero in. We've got based on the industry we're in, based on our skill set on the team, the timing, right? Where we are today, what's working pretty well, right? Based on their target audience, all these things, that's part of this systematic approach. So give them this process and help them understand the why. Because I fully believe if you understand the why behind what you're doing, you'll have clarity to make the right decisions and get the results. So my question to you, Krish, is as a co-founder and CEO, and I think we covered a little bit already just based on that side question that I had for you about the moat. But what's your point of view on like, why is marketing important? What do you think? I believe marketing is extremely valuable in terms of educating folks and raising the right sort of awareness, creating the right fit for the problem. Because a lot of times marketing isn't about selling the features. It's about identifying the problem, quantifying it, and then helping people find a solution to that. I always tell this to people, startups that I advise is don't fall in love with the technology. Even as a product person, it's hard for me to say that, but instead focus on the problem. Because when people are coming, most often than not, they're coming with the problems that they are actually trying to face and solve. And the biggest lesson I've learned in marketing that I think is extremely helpful now in terms of the way I view the world is marketing is about aligning the customer life cycle with the stage at which the customer is at. And what I mean by that is if you are trying to sell something to someone on day one where they don't even know that they have the problem that they're trying to solve, right? You never go and tell someone on the first date that you're gonna marry them. Oh, maybe you can, maybe it works for people, but that will take them by surprise. You need to first figure out like what are you compatible with? What do you like about each other? And how much information do you want to tell about yourself versus learn about the other person? And then over time, you then realize, okay, you're the right fit. You should get married. And it's the same way when it comes to marketing is you need to be able to help them through that life cycle until you realize it's like the perfect partnership for them to use your product. And for early stage companies, this is even more critical when no one's heard about you or your brand, that you need to do the work to help get them educated, help them learn about the problem, help them understand what options are there at the table to how they can solve these problems, and then prove why you're the right fit for them later on in that life cycle. So yeah, just like you don't get married to someone on the first date, you're not going to sell someone on like that first piece of content that you write or that first ad that you do. And having that longer term mindset has really changed because you're not in a rush. You're just focused on delivering as much value to the customer as possible. And then you know that at some point in time, they will realize that you meet their requirements and needs and that that is the best solution for them to use. This longer term mindset, I think, is hard for early stage founders because, you know, we all kind of want, and even for me, when I started my company, we want to see the results. Like I'm putting my time and effort into something. I want to see that result. But what you're saying is if you have that philosophy of stuff takes time with marketing, and if you are thinking about delivering as much value, like helping to educate, helping them learn about the problem, helping them understand the options, it's helping, 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 right? And that takes time. And for some people, it's a little faster. But for a lot of people, especially as your awareness grows and more people are at just at different stages in that life cycle, it's going to take some time. So you can't just say like, hey, let's get married on day one. I love that tie back. And I wanted to ask you, like, how do you balance talking about the problem versus talking about the solution. Do you think about it in a systematic way for 
fireflies. How do you balance that? Because you could talk about the problem 80% of the time and then talk about the solution, but with specifically for on the marketing front, how do you balance that? It's particularly challenging with fireflies because we have so many different personas and each persona has different problems. So if you're a startup and you're starting with a singular persona, pick out who is that ideal customer profile and then do the research, everything around that customer, what they do, whether that's related to your product or in the periphery, all the things that they do. Then start understanding what are the sort of questions that they're going to ask or with the challenges that they deal with on a day-to-day life, right? How can your product make them successful at their work, help them get a promotion, help them be more creative, more productive, more successful at the work that they do? And I think that ICP and you work backwards to from what success looks like helps you understand what questions need to be answered and how much you need to teach them about your product or the problems that they have to solve. And it becomes a little bit easier here over time because when people are aware of your brand and what it can do, you don't have to start from zero. And then you have to be able to also translate the problem to actually the functionality. So this is where sometimes people miss it. Either they go too technical or they go too wishy-washy. There's some websites I go to and I'm like, I have no idea what you guys do. And you're talking about digital transformation. You're talking about like workforce improvement. And then I realized, oh, it's because I'm not the target buyer. They're trying to attract the C-suite who thinks much more big picture. And the entire goal for that website is to get you to have a demo with them and have a conversation with them and do a discovery call. Whereas a lot of PLG companies, it's going to be more features. It's going to be like 70% features and 30% problem, right? When you go to Fireflies, you're going to say, this is exactly what it does. This is what you're going to get. And these are the problems that it solves. But it's much more leaning towards the functionality. So even in our own market in the past, there were some top-down enterprise companies and they would use words like conversation intelligence, revenue intelligence. And they talk about like kind of this big picture. And so they'll say, hey, we're going to help your salespeople be better. But then you're like, how? Like, what is actually happening? Whereas in Fireflies, when you go to our website, we're basically going to say, hey, we track talk time. So it'll tell you exactly how much your salesperson is talking versus your customer. And if you need to like calm down and like listen more, right? So it's much more practical. But that's because our audience is already done their research. They're much more focused on the features. So depends on the stage of your company, the type of customer you're selling to, and then the ICP that you're selling into. Some of them are very obvious. Okay, I need a note taker. These are the challenges that I have. Like I can't focus during meetings or I want to go review the notes of like my sales team so that I have more information when I go and do a demo to them or a handoff or kickoff call with them. I want to have like notes while my recruiting interview is happening so that I can pay attention and ask the right questions on the interview. I want these notes because when I'm onboarding someone, I just want to be able to send them the Fireflies recap instead of having to repeat onboarding from scratch. So these are particular personas, right? Team collaboration, recruiting and sales. And you just kind of go deeper on like, what are the things people do on a day-to-day basis? So I think it's just a long-winded answer here, but the reality is it depends. And I think that certain products lend themselves to where it's super obvious. Whereas if you were going to tell me about enterprise networking and uh, VPN software, I might need to know why I even need a VPN to begin with. Yeah. And like, what are the implications? What are the risks of not having a VPN? What is the landscape of VPNs? And I need more contacts before I make a purchasing Yeah. So what you're saying essentially is that you at Firefly is like, you guys do talk about the problem, but I think you're probably more going to talk about the solution and the features because like your audience basically just jumps in and a lot of them are already using the tool and like you don't need to really talk too much about the problem right that's what it sounds like versus other companies that are not maybe plg oriented right or selling to the c-suite like gong for example revenue intelligence talking about high level stuff and like strategy and all that you're not necessarily jumping into the features as much because that's not what these people necessarily 
they haven't used the tool, they're not ready. They're not at that point. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah. Okay, cool. Awesome. So in the same vein, like, why do you think marketing can be so misunderstood? We talked about the importance of marketing. You know, why is marketing important and the longer term stuff? And you talked about zeroing. I love this. You talked about like, we have a lot of different personas. Each persona has different problems, but you need to really pick. I'm highlighting that because people in early stage startups do not pick. They want to go after everybody because they want to grow faster. But if you pick it out and do the research and know everything around that customer, that is the better way. So why do you think marketing can be so misunderstood? I think marketing is misunderstood because of the goals that it's trying to achieve for the customer versus the seller. And sometimes you can read through the marketing and say like, okay, you're totally trying to sell me, right? Like versus, hey, you're providing so much value up front. And we live in this world where people crave information and they want to do their research. 60% of the buying decision is already done before they come and talk to your team or evaluate your product. And so marketing is important for that first 60%. So if you don't have that in place, like how are they going to get the accurate information about what you do? So for me, like that is the thing. It's like marketing is not something you tag on after. But if you think about it as a way to educate and inform, it's going to prove to be successful. Yeah, I mean, I get really tired of seeing, I think I just had someone on the show in another session and we talked about how in the blog post, it's like top five ways to do X. And then in the second point, it's the product. Like, come on, people are smart by now. You can't do things like that, right? So are you using marketing to sell? Is it really kind of like gross? Or are you using marketing to achieve the goals for the customer, which is more why we talk about understanding the customer and doing the research and focusing on their problem and stuff like that. So I can see what you mean by like the fact that we've got this seller. If we have more of like the selling mindset, then marketing can be really misunderstood and not aligned to how people Like people can read through the lines and they'll be disgusted (laughs) by what kind of marketing you're providing to them. So yeah. And you also said something interesting. Marketing is not something you tack on after Krish, which I agree with you, not just because I'm a marketer, but if you, a lot of the, you know, sometimes I meet early stage startups and they aren't really dabbling in marketing and they're like, it's not the right time. It's not the right time, but it's part of your go-to market strategy. So when is the right time? A year from now, you know, it should have probably been now or a year back if you're at seed stage. So great to kind of like have you on because you're now at Series A and just going through the learnings that you've experienced has been so valuable. I know it's going to be valuable for the listener that's joining us here, (laughs) kind of joining us here, not really in the room with us. But at the end of my episodes, I like to ask, like, I've asked you a lot of questions. What question might you have for me? Questions that I have are, at what point do you realize a channel doesn't work and you need to move on? Yeah. Is that your main burning question? Yeah, because uh, that's something we talk about all the time. Like, do we spend another quarter on this? Do we try something yeah. different? Yeah. Gosh. Yeah, this comes up a bunch, actually. I think I asked this question of somebody that was on the show ages ago. And so now I don't remember what she said, but it doesn't matter because my point of view is you don't need that much time to realize something's not working. Like I even see this with not just companies, but solopreneurs that go on in a channel and I see them and I'm like, ah, it really pains me that you're still in that channel because it's clearly not working for you. But I think that there are certain things that you really don't need to spend like six months on something. You really just need to spend probably like, okay, I hate saying this, it depends thing. But for example, with the podcast, when I started it, I needed to give it time because it's just like getting out one episode per week. But I wasn't going to go past like two or three months with it if it really wasn't resonating because you could get in. 
Now we can get instant signal from putting content up on social media. So when you couple something like, okay, how are we going to create some long form content and then distribute it across the channel, you could get early signal pretty quickly. And let's say you're posting then like content on social media and weeks go by and it's like crickets. So I would give it a couple months. I would give it like a month or two. And really what you're trying to see is like, are we creating some engagement here with the stuff we're talking about? No. Okay. Let's go back to the drawing board and let's go back to our customers and let's really have like do voice, voice of customer research to really get deep on like, if we know them so well, and we're talking about the things that matter to them, it should work. So I think you should come from a place of like you had mentioned, Krish, go big in the things you believe in. Don't just dabble and like hope and then kind of like get in there and get out in a couple of weeks. You really have to know your target buyer, what they care about, what channels they hang out in, and then do your best there. Give it a chance, but don't overspend the time and look for those early signals. What do you think? I think that's like, yeah, that's a good way to to think about it for sure. But yeah, you also look at, the, I'm someone that says data doesn't lie. So you should be able to see some level of progress, some level of growth through the data. And that's how we make our decisions usually. Yeah. So when you are seeing the platform sort of take off, right, it starts out slow with PLG. You got to give it time, but you should be seeing some kind of growth. Like the five users that week turns into the seven, the next turns into 10, turns into 15, turns into. So that's step change growth over time. You should see that. That's a signal. You're looking at both quantitative and qualitative. Like you're getting that qualitative feedback that users love using the product, right? They're, you're seeing that viral loop happen. So it's kind of both things, but at an early stage startup, I don't recommend spending, overly spending too much time because you just don't have that time, right? You can't spend six months waiting for an experiment to work out. So awesome. Great question, Krish, and a challenging one for so many. So thanks for bringing that up. So Krish, thanks so much for joining me. If anybody wants to find Krish, you can do so by going to LinkedIn, Krish Ramaneni. And to learn more about Fireflies.ai, you can go to Fireflies.ai and you can sign up for free. I did probably report back on a future episode like, hey, this was cool. This is why it worked for me you know, hopefully. (laughs) So I'm really excited to see how, you know, this, the tool ends up helping me. But more importantly, thank you for spending time with me here, Krish, and for just diving into a lot of the experiences and insights that you have. It was a pleasure. And thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for listening to this weekly episode of Modern Startup Marketing. New episodes are dropping weekly, so make sure you're following wherever you get your podcasts. You can find me on LinkedIn, search for Anna Fermanov, visit my website to learn more about how I help early stage startups, go to fermanovmarketing.com, and don't forget to leave a review if you're loving the show. 